0: Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, let's read verse number 8. Very short, but we'll read it twice to make you feel better. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's read it once more. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for the way that you have blessed our church family. Lord, we ask that you continue to watch over Brandon and Melissa that their baby would grow in health, Lord, and in strength, and that, Father, that that child would be used greatly of You. Father, we, we pray for its salvation even right now. Pray for her salvation. Lord, that Your hand be upon her, that, Lord, when she comes to an age that her mind is ready and she can understand that Your Spirit would convict her and that she'd come to know Your Son as her Savior. Lord, I pray that for all of the children of our church Father, we're just trusting and committing their lives and their souls to you. Father, I pray that you would bless our time now together. We do ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 13, let me say first off that there is a context to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. There's a context to every portion of the word of God. And that context is important. In fact, as you read through Hebrews chapter 13, one of the things that you'll be struck by is that these Hebrew believers were living in changing times. Let me say that today in America, we live in changing times. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about any kind of nonsense that's going on today, although we certainly could spend a lot of time talking about that. But let's, let's just suffice it to say that in a changing world where things seem to shift and change politically, morally, religiously, uh, academically, economically, and on and on we could go, uh, we have an unchanging God. And Jesus Christ is an unchanging God, and He is the Son of God. He's always been, He always will be. As we read this verse, and like I said, I'm going to be short tonight if I can. Uh, I see three things that I want to share with you, and it's very simple. You're going to walk away from here and say, hey, even a caveman can do it. Amen? But I want to say, first off, we see in this verse a commentary on the past. Uh, you know, as we read the Word of God, we have certain prisms and glasses that we sort of read it through. I don't know why it is, but we sort of think of the life of Christ beginning there in Bethlehem. Now, I'm aware that He was incarnate in Bethlehem. But as we read in this verse and in many other portions of the Word of God, we find that He has always existed and He's always been the same. Now, this separates us from a good many cults that exist in the day that we live in. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, reject that Christ is the Son of God. Uh, the Mormons try to uh, make Him basically on the same footing as Satan and basically nothing more than an angel. Uh, many of the religions that exist today uh, that are on the quote-unquote fringe, they observe and, and acknowledge Christ as being a prophet. And of course, we know that Muslims, they acknowledge that He was a prophet, but they do not accept Him as the Son of God. Uh, Roman Catholicism tries to place Mary upon the same pedestal as Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say in some ways they try to place her above Jesus Christ. We know that that's all nonsense and we know that none of it is of God, don't we? Amen? Because we learn from the Word of God that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Bible tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when I read Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, I learned something about His deity. You know, if He's God, then He must have been God eternally. Because for God to be anything other than God eternally, both in eternity past and eternity future, He wouldn't be God. We learn a few things about the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry. And He made no bones about the fact that He was God in the flesh. He said this, that before Abraham was, He said, I am. Now, uh, if you're a, a, a grammar student or an English professor, uh, that would probably make you cringe. You would say, that's not proper grammar. But our Lord knew exactly what He was doing. Amen? Uh, we have the Word of the Lord, but He's the Lord of the Word too. And not just the Word of God, but the Lord of any words. Uh, if He chooses to use a little improper grammar, I believe that'd be okay, wouldn't you? What He was conveying to us was this, that He is the eternally existent, ever-present God. Uh, he is not a created being. Uh, one of the grand heresies that you'll hear propagated, and especially in a lot of the new Bibles that come out, is uh, they will try to minimize the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll try to make him a good teacher. I've always thought it was interesting that folks would claim that he was just a good man or a good teacher, because he himself claimed that he was God. Uh, he said, I and my Father are one. Now, it doesn't get much plainer than that, does it? I and my Father. And we know who he was speaking of when he spoke of his Father, uh, because he would speak of his Father, which was in heaven. He would say, hallowed be his name. Uh, that Father is the one that he said, I and the Father are one. Philip had came to him and said this in John chapter 14. He said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Boy, if there was ever, uh, you know, a commentary on the way that humanity is, that's it. Here he had raised the dead. He had opened the eyes of the blind. He had raised up those that were lame. He had loosed the tongue of those that couldn't speak. He had unstopped the ears of those that were deaf. And Philip had nerve enough to say, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. But he answered him exactly how he ought to have been answered. He said, Philip, how long a time have I been with you, and thou hast not known me? He said, have I been so long with thee, and thou hast not known me? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we understand that Jesus Christ being the second person of the Trinity, and let me just pause there for a moment and say this. We refer to him as the second person of the Trinity because we must distinguish between the persons of the Trinity. But there's no pecking order in the Trinity. Jesus Christ is just as much God as God the Father is. Let me just shiver your timbers. Can I do that? The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father is. Just as sovereign, just as omniscient, just as omnipotent. He is just as authoritative. And so the three persons of the Trinity are harmonious in their wills, though they do have each of them distinct wills. The Bible says about the Holy Spirit uh, and the giving of the gifts of the Spirit that He deliver, uh, delivereth uh, to severally as He will. In other words, the Spirit of God has a will, but that will is in perfect harmony with the Son of God and with the Father. So when we speak of Jesus Christ as the second person of the Trinity, we're not doing it to minimize Him, because uh, if He's God now, then He must have always been God. Can I? Can I just? Would it be all right if if I just wrap your mind in circles for a minute? Would that be okay? I'm, I'm gonna share something with you that is a struggle for anybody to understand, but I believe it'll help you if you'll if you'll listen carefully. You have to listen to exactly what I say, or you'll brand me a heretic. Amen. All good theology is just a few seconds short of heresy, right? And uh, when we speak of Christ as the Son of God, does He meet all of the qualifications for a son? Or could we say this, that he surpasses the qualifications of a son? When we speak of him, and I want you to listen very carefully, because let's make no bones, he is the son of God. But when we speak of of a father and a son relationship, there are some elements that are uniquely missing from the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Can I give you a few of them? One of them is this, that a father is always older than a son. I mean, listen, if, if you're older than, than your daddy is and he's still alive, something's wrong. Amen? Somebody's lied to you. Uh, let me say this, that a son is a created being. On September 11th, 1987, I, I, I discovered the world. Amen? And uh, sometime nine months before that, I, I was conceived. I did not exist before then except in the mind of God. And yet we learn this about Jesus Christ, that He is eternal, that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And He is the Word of God, that all things were created by Him and for Him. So what we learn is this, and I want you to listen very carefully. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is not less than that of a father and a son, but rather is infinitely more than that of a father and a son. And the relationship that you and I know between a father and a son is but a poor shadow of that divine and mysterious relationship between God the Father and God the Son. You see, he's always been God. He willingly has chosen, and, and I believe he has willingly chosen the place in the Trinity that He occupies. His will is submitted to His Father, and yet we find this: that all things are created for Him. I know I'm sharing with you things that are infinitely mysterious and things that the human mind cannot comprehend. I told you, I I'd, I'd just I'd wrap your mind in circles. But these things are important to at least attempt to understand. Do you know why? Because it deepens our majesty of Him. To understand or to try to understand the depths of His infinite divine nature. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. But He's the Son of God and He's God in the flesh. Before He was ever the Son of God, He was still God. Before He was ever God in the flesh, He was still God. He's still as much God today as He's ever been. You see, this verse teaches me something about His deity. Let me say that not only His deity, but it tells me something about His doctrine. Now, I'm going to say a word about dispensationalism in a moment, so hang on tight. That'll be exciting. Amen. Uh, Nothing more exciting than dispensationalism, right? I'm just seeing who's a liar out there and who's not. We have this sort of notion sometimes, like the rules have changed in the Word of God as time has progressed. Did you know that the things that offended God in the Old Testament still offend God in the New Testament? Uh, Again, I'm not not going to acknowledge the perverse worldview of a lost man. And I'm not going to taint the pulpit with his name. But suffice it to say that in the world and warped culture that we live in today, uh, there's sort of this idea that the New Testament came along and erased everything in the Old Testament and now all of a sudden the things that were in the New Testament but that are not detailed and mapped out in the, or the things that were in the Old Testament and are not detailed and mapped out in the Gospels that somehow they've become null and void. And you'll hear people say as a for instance concerning sodomy. Now sodomy is a sin. Sodomy's always been a sin. It's still as much of a sin today as it's ever been. Sodomy will always be just as much of a sin as it ever has been. You'll hear people say sometimes things like this. They'll say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Well, let me answer that twofold. Let me say, first off, that that's true in a sense. But let me say this, that there are certain things that uh, were so culturally taboo at the time when Christ walked the earth that they didn't even have to be addressed. See, the Old Testament, he said, I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to, uh, to encompass and to fulfill the, the law. He came to be the end of the law to righteousness to everyone that believed. And people will say, well, Jesus never dealt with those things. Well, is that true? What does the Bible say about it? The Old Testament calls it an Abomination. Uh the Bible says it's a shame. Uh Sodom and Gomorrah, the very city from which we get the term sodomy, uh God destroyed it because of its wickedness. Uh we learn that it was not just uh you know a matter of immorality at large, but if you read the details of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, literally the men of Sodom sought to lay carnally with the angels that had came to rescue Lot. There's no question that homosexuality is condemned. Sodomy is marked as a sin in the Old Testament. What does the New Testament say about it? You may come here and say, well, you know, preacher, I know all this. Will you just buckle in? We're going, it's going to get good here in a second. But there's some things we need to say because they need to be said. Amen? There's mm. there some things we need to say because it needs to be said. We've quit saying it because we thought everybody assumed it. And now you turn on the TV and find out the world's upside down and turned inside out. It's time Christians start being bold about where they stand on things. What does the book of Romans say about it? You say, well, that's not Christ. Well, isn't it? The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. I I believe it is. Who who do you think it was knocked Paul off his high horse on the road to Damascus? Uh, Whenever Paul said, "Uh, who art thou? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. So I'd say that, that Paul was sent by the Lord, wouldn't you? And what does the book of Romans say? The Bible says this. to be wise, they became fools. You could just mark that down on just about every university in the entire country. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say that about... Uh, just about any other thing except homosexuality. But when they started down that path, the Bible says first off that God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In other words, and he goes on to say this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this God, cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. In other words, God says that it's unnatural. The cat but because they had rejected God in their minds, God allowed their conscience to be overran by their wickedness and allowed them to enter into that sin. And then they persisted in that sin. So you know what uh, God did? God allowed for their wicked hearts to fall in love with it. And they were given over and given up to vile affections. The Bible says in verse 27, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. You, you and I both know that body ravaging diseases are, are epidemic in homosexual circles. You say, what does it mean when it says uh, that he allowed them to receive in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat? He allowed for sickness and disease and heartache and heartbreak. Alcoholism, drug use, suicide is rampant. Let me tell you something. You go against the word of God and there's consequences. There's consequences. There's consequences. The Bible says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. He gave them up and he gave them up and finally gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Now, you say, preacher, what are you carrying on about for this? Because in this society, there's this notion that Jesus Christ, he never judged anybody, right? And uh, he was all soft and meek, all of that hard-nosed stuff. That was Old Testament, you know, that's what people say. They say he won't never judge anyone, yet the Word of God says that uh, the Father judgeth no man, but all judgment is committed unto the Son. Let me tell you something, they have one that judges them. And there's coming a day, he's not coming back. When he comes back in power and in glory, he's not coming as the meek Galilean shepherd. But he's coming with a sword in his uh, hand. He's coming with, with his vesture dipped in blood. He's coming to tread out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. They're not going to see Him like He left. Those of us that know Him, it'll be this same Jesus. But those that have rejected Him and have held the truth of God in unrighteousness, there's coming a day they'll see Him split the eastern sky and He won't be coming back in clouds. He'll be coming with an army. You see, that's the same Jesus. He was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Uh, You look at the character of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you find some unique things. You find that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was always armed with a sword. It may be drawn, it may not be drawn, but it was always armed with a sword. We find that it was the angel of the Lord that went through the land, slaying those uh, that uh, God had sentenced to death through the sin of uh, David in numbering the people. It was the angel of the Lord that stood in the way and blocked Balaam and would have took his head off if he had just kept coming at him. I'm saying this, we learn something about his doctrine when we consider this verse. The things that offended God in the Old Testament, they still offend God in the New Testament. But then we learn something then about dispensationalism. And I, let me tell you something, we'd spend 10 years if I just parked here, so I'm going to try to be quick. As a dispensationalist, I believe that God dealt with humanity in different ways in different dispensations. But we do learn this, if Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that, that transcends dispensational lines, there are certain things about his character that we find crossing trend, uh, dispensational lines. In other words, we understand that God dealt with the Jewish people in the Old Testament and the means through which he dealt with them was the law. But let me say this, it's always been by faith that we approach unto God. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Abraham was of faith and the promise that was made to him was made by faith. People say there was no grace in the Old Testament. Noah found grace in the Old Testament. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me tell you something, anything that God gives a man that he doesn't deserve, that's Grace. That's grace. Repentance. Now, I know I'm echoing. If you' here Monday night, you're getting a double dose. I'm echoing a little bit of what we dealt with Monday night. Uh, but repentance is something that transcends dispensational lines. As long as there's sin, repentance will be the only means of dealing with it. It's the only means. That's the only proper way to deal with sin is to repent of it. If we're unrepentant then our sins won't be forgiven, at least not in the respect for those that have been saved in our relationship and certainly for the sinner if they remain unrepentant in their life and they never look to Christ, they'll die and go to hell. We learn something. We learn that dispensationalism is a valid means of it rightly dividing the word of truth, and it is. In fact, it's the only right way to interpret the word of God is through dispensational means. Uh, But we do understand this, that Jesus Christ was still the same yesterday. Through every dispensation, his heart is still beat for the sinner. Through every dispensation, his, his, his blood has still boiled at unrighteousness. Through every dispensation, he's still loved those that are lost. He, when he came to call the sinners to repentance, that wasn't something that just began in his heart in a moment. God has always loved the lost man and always sought a means to reconcile the lost man unto himself. So we have a commentary on the past. But I want you to notice, number two, that we have a comfort for the present. Now at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, they were just oh about fifty uh, years or so into uh, the, the A D portion of uh, our calendar keeping, just about thirty or so years removed from the cross of Calvary. But let me say that it's still true today that Jesus Christ is the same today that he's always been. One of the beautiful things about that term today is that it'll still apply tomorrow. Amen? That's a good thing about the promises of God. When God makes one of these today promises, I'll give you, for instance, concerning salvation in the book of Hebrews, it says today is the day of salvation. I'm glad if the Lord tarries a hundred years from now, if a sinner picks up this old Bible and looks and sees that today is the day of salvation, he can still be born again. Amen. Isn't that a blessing to know that? That word today is something that is relative to wherever we're at and whatever's going on. And the Bible says this about Jesus Christ, the same Christ that is eternally existent, the same One that stepped out of the veil of darkness, that pulled back the curtain of nothing and flung into nothing everything and created all that we see around us, is the same One that saved you and me, the same One that walks with us, the same One that talks with us. That's a comfort for me. Isn't it a comfort for you? It comforts me to know that He still loves the way that He's always loved. Let me tell you something. I, if it, If it was... If I was the Lord, and you just better be glad I'm not. If, if I was God, the word smite would be in the Bible a lot more. Amen. <laughs> if I if I was the Lord, I wouldn't be nearly as patient with me as the Lord is. But it's good to know that no matter what today I face, and you face some tough todays when you walk this earth. We were in the hospital yesterday, and I, I was visiting Richard's brother. Uh, he's had had some heart problems and the day before he was in the ICU. In fact, another, Miss Ann, just had surgery not long ago. She spent some days in the ICU. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord usually gives me liberty to say when I begin to pray with those that are in ICU is, I I always try to say this, Lord, we thank You for the day. We acknowledge that it's a day full of hardships and trials. One of the worst things you can do is go into a hospital, somebody laying in a hospital bed and saying, Lord, thank You for this beautiful day. (laughs) They're they're thinking, what, the fluorescent lights and the backside of that administrative building that I can see out my window, you know? Listen, if you're a real human being, then you face hardships, you face trials. I don't know how your today was, but tomorrow you might have a different today than you had today. Uh, There's no question, there's a lot of folks laying in the hospital right now that didn't expect to be there this morning, that didn't have a thing wrong with them. If you ever want to know how short life is, go to the trauma floor at one of these hospitals. And you'll find I'm talking about babies laying there. I, I'm talking about ju- just children, just seven, eight, nine, ten years old sometimes. You'll find people that are, that are laid out and all their life was before them and then everything crumbled, crumbled, crumbled. It's at those times we need faith that Jesus Christ, He still loves us the same today as He did yesterday. He still loves us. When you face things like Job faced, Job stood beside ten freshly dug graves, that's when your faith begins to be tested. Will you really believe that? I'm glad that He still loves us today as He's always loved us. I'll probably mess up before the night is done. I may mess up tomorrow. I'll probably mess up the day after that. But no matter how bad I mess up, He'll still love me then like He loves me now. You know, one of the most beautiful portions in the entire Word of God, one of the most beautiful verses, just a chapter back in uh, chapter number 12, where the Word of God says this in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, and then what? The finisher of our faith. When He saved you, He knew what you were going to be. He knew what you were going to be. He knew every mistake you were going to make, every fault and every shortcoming that you would experience. Listen, I don't say that to give you a license to fail. Uh, But, I mean, if you're made of flesh and bone, you will fail. So it's good to know that at those days, whatever your today may hold, Jesus still loves you. He still loves you. And then also it's encouraging to know that not only does He still love us, but He still lives today. The resurrection is just as potent today as it's always been. When he got up from the grave, he had conquered death. Uh, The Bible says to die no more. Once he offered a sacrifice for us and it's been sufficient. You know, the great beauty of the power of the resurrection is that the power of the resurrection is the power to save. Uh, If Jesus had uh, died for our sins, but not risen from the dead, the payment for our sins might be secured, but the application of it would have been impossible. Because the only means for accepting the the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ is through effectual faith in His person. You see, if He didn't raise from the dead, we'd have no mediator. Our prayers wouldn't get above this drop-tile ceiling if we didn't have a risen Savior. But the Bible tells us that He's risen and seated at the right hand of the Father, and He ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. It's good to know Jesus is still alive today. Now, you say, well, of course, preacher, that's common. Everybody knows that. Well, do we? Sometimes when we, when we get discouraged, and I, I, you, I don't know, you may never get discouraged. I do sometimes. Uh, sometimes, I, I, I mean, that, that black dog follows me. And sometimes I get discouraged and, and it gets difficult. And sometimes you just get the notion that, that the whole world is just going down the tube and God's forgotten about everyone. And you ask like the psalmist did, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Seems like everything crumbles around you. The devil in those moments will creep up beside you and say, I told you he's dead. I told you he's dead. If he was alive, he wouldn't let this happen. One of the surefire ways to get comfort when the devil speaks to you is just to remember that he's a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. Anything that he tells you, you can just go ahead and count on the opposite of it. And sometimes as in the world, by the way, has the same mentality that Christ is dead. Christianity is just a religion like all the rest. And yet we find this, that our religion is built Not upon dead dogma from many, many moons ago, but upon the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ability to transform those that are ensnared in the darkness of sin. He's still just as powerful today. If you've got lost loved ones, and I do, and I bet you do too, it's good to know that Jesus still lives and He's still in the saving business. Still in the saving business. He's still alive today. Times when we need to get a hold of God and we need to grab hold of the horns of the altar. It's good to know that Jesus is still alive, no matter what your today is. We see that uh, in this passage, a comfort for the present. And then you don't seem too excited, so I'll just give you the last one, close. Amen. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and what? Forever. We see a confidence for that which is perspective. In other words, we have a confidence for the future. There's not a person in here that knows what tomorrow is going to hold for them. You have plans. I have plans. The best laid plans, you know. We all have plans. God taught me some important lessons in life when He just jerked the rug out from under me. And sometimes the Lord allows that to happen. We've got all these plans for the future and we know how everything's going to go. When I was a youth pastor and I deal with young people, young people are funny, They, they want to know everything. Uh, that's why when they get to be teenagers, they think they do know everything, you know. But they want to know everything, and they talked to me about how to find the person I was going to marry, or they were going to marry, not the person I was going to marry. I already had her picked out, but, but the person they were going to marry, and, and where they were going to work, and, and the house they were going to buy, all these things. They wanted everything figured out. Let me tell you something. You've got something far better than the best laid plans. You have a God that reigns yesterday, He reigns today, And he'll reign tomorrow. He's still on the throne. Now, if that don't mean much to you, that's fine. You just just sit there and let it bounce off you. But there's some people in this room, I promise you, that they need that. Because sometimes when life just spins out of control, you've got to have an anchor point. The Hebrew writer said, we have a sure anchor of the soul, steadfast. Sometimes you look at, at the end of the month and you've got more month than you have paycheck left. You don't know what's going to happen. It's good to know that He's going to be on the throne for the rest of the month. Isn't it? He's going to be on the throne for the rest of the month. Man, you're facing a hospital bed. That's scary. I don't care who you are. That's scary. The only people that ain't scared of hospital beds is those that ain't been in them. That's scary. I don't care, you know. I mean, people, it's funny, people will have surgery and, uh, you know, you can tell the veterans, you know, they got the battle scars and they've had all kinds of stuff done. And I, I don't know, maybe you just get used to it, but you can tell somebody that's having surgery for the very first time. It don't matter what's happened. I mean, they might be getting like local anesthetic, like like they're going to numb the area with an ice cube and, and and lance a boil. But if they tell you you're going to have surgery, it's scary. It's scary. It's good to know that the Lord's still going to be on the throne. Yeah in the midst of that, that trial and that hardship and that sickness. I go in and out of hospitals weekly, weekly, and you face people that have, that they live, they've got fear in their eyes, they don't know what's going to happen. It could just as easily go one way as it could go the other way. The only comfort in days like that is to understand that He's still got it all in hand, and He's still reigning on the throne. Well, 2016's coming up, and it don't look good. You don't have to believe that, but... That's my opinion. I don't care which wing of the of the bird goes in. I mean, it, it, they're both attached to the same bird, and she's fallen. She's fallen. But you know, Jesus is still going to reign in 2016. It's still going to reign. The Lord sets up rulers and He takes rulers down. He still intends on reigning. We, we worry all the time, and I'm I'm just like you. I worry. I mean, I, I worry all the time. There's things that bother me. There's things that concern me. I look at this world and just scratch my head sometimes. You ever had one of those days where you just want to get rid of everything, go live in the woods? I have those days, and I'm sure you do too. And you just wonder how God could be upon His throne. Listen to what the psalmist said about it. We read just a little bit about it a second ago, but I, man, this is just too good. I, it's a Wednesday night. That's okay, right? It's a Wednesday night. I, if it don't help you, it'll help me, and we'll just count that a favor, Okay. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, if you ever had a glimpse of what modern politics looks like, it's right there in Psalms chapter 2. Man, it seems like every new law that comes out, the design of it, is to unravel something of our biblical foundation and framework and fabric in this country. And it's almost as though there is the systematic dismantling of all that is Christian from our society. Anything that can be associated with the Word of God is immediately attacked. And immediately that attack is supported. Man, they've got the best plans. I mean, they're going to legislate Christ right out of this country, aren't they? I wonder what it looks like in heaven when that happens. You ever wonder that? You ever wonder if heaven gets worried about that? You ever wonder if, like, you know, they get kind of nervous up in heaven? Well, it, in fact, it tells us. Look at verse 4. It says, He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Listen to what it says. I like this. Yet have I set my king. Upon my holy hill of Zion. You know that's prophetic. You understand that, right? In other words, this is the psalmist is looking at the, the, the drama of the ages, the scope of all of humanity. And ever since man failed and man sinned in the garden and depravity clenched the heart of fallen man, man has sought some way to kick God off of his throne. It began with the Tower of Babel, it began with Nimrod. And all through the ages, you find emperor after emperor that thought he could get up high enough to kick God off of his throne. And when the Lord finally does speak, and one day he's going to speak, one day, if you've been studying the minor prophets with us, you've read it, he's going to speak one of these days. The Bible says the mountains will melt. The mountains will melt. He'll come down in his wrath and his anger. And then we have the smoke clearing And listen to what the Lord says after he's vexed them in his sore displeasure. After it's all said and done, after it's all said and done, after the Antichrist has been banished, after the armies have been thwarted, after the blood has ran away, the Lord sits back and says, despite all of your raging, despite all of your anger, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. The Lord Jesus Christ has an appointment with a throne upon this earth in Jerusalem. He will be crowned. He will be They're not, listen, you don't vote on a king. He's not, when he comes back, he's not coming for a vote. He's coming to conquer. And it's good to know that tomorrow he'll still be reigning. And then finally, and I'm just going to give you this and hush. Do you believe that? He's still going to return. He's still going to return. The promise was given. They said this. Why gaze ye steadfastly up into heaven, you men of Galilee? They said this same Jesus, this same Jesus. We're just one day closer to the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not changed his mind about it. It's still settled. He's still coming. We don't know when that will happen. Anybody that tells you they know when it's going to happen, they've lied to you. If the Son doesn't know, and that's what the Gospels say, right? That not even the Son knows. That the angels of heaven don't know and not even the Son knows. If the Son doesn't know, the Scripture doesn't say. Because God the Son and God the Scripture are synonymous, you understand? The Word of God and the Son of God. But He's still coming back. Things look pretty ripe for it, but I don't know when it'll be. But I know this, that you'll hear people say, the only thing sure in this world is death and taxes. Well, that's not true. About half this country don't pay taxes. And I'm looking forward one day to beating death. I hope to. I may not be. I may not be part of that generation. Or my generation may make it. But some angry Baptist may shoot me in a church parking lot. But one way or the other, I'm going to him. I I hope to meet him through the upper taker. Not through the undertaker. Because I know, I know, I know that Jesus is coming soon. Ain't it good to know he's the same today yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow.